We have a letter written by Paul, a representative of Jesus Christ, to Titus. And in this letter, he tells Titus about the importance of calling wise, mature, older people to be the leaders of the churches in Crete. These leaders need to carefully watch over the congregations. Once again, you have found the podcast of Trustler Mennonite Church, or actually, perhaps this is your very first time. Either way, you can come here each week to hear a replay of our most recent Sunday morning sermon. This week, we started a short series on the book of Titus. The text was Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, and the date was October 29th, 2023. Yes, this morning, must, many people must have realized that we're starting a new series and they decided to, to bail for various reasons, but I'm glad that you are, you are here. We're starting Titus. We just finished Hebrews several weeks ago. We're, it's part of our bigger series of working through the letters of the New Testament. And of course, anytime you start a book on one of these, you have to say, well, first off, it is, of course, a letter. I mean, that's pretty basic, but that is... It's pretty foundational as well. This letter is from Paul, a slave of God, an apostle of Christ Jesus. So, as I'm sure many of you have realized over the years, if you've been reading the Bible, often in this time period, letters started with the name of the person who was writing it, a little bit about him or something, and then, and then it said who it was writing to. So, I'll read again just, just to read. Paul says, I have been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen, to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. This this truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. And now at just the right time, he has revealed this message, which we announce to everyone. It's by the command of God, our Savior, that I have been entrusted with this work for him. So I know this probably seems like a kind of a long introduction, at least it would not fit in our letter writing culture. If I introduced myself with this long in my letters, people would probably think I was kind of big headed. But anyway, this is this is the way it was done. And this is in some ways a summary of who Paul was or how he sees himself in his role. You could go many directions. I'm going to focus my t- comments and words this morning on the rest of this passage, primarily about church leadership and the characteristics and nature of the people that are called into leadership. But there is a lot here in understanding how Paul thinks about his role, his calling, and the message that he has to give. But then, of course, he says, I am writing to Titus, my true son in the faith that we share. May God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior give you grace and peace. So letter from Paul to Titus pretty basic, but that is the introduction of what we are studying, what we're looking at. So it's probably going to be a series about four feet long, four feet long, four weeks long. I don't know where that came from. (laughs) I don't know if you were very polite or weren't listening at first. So it's going to be a lesson about four weeks long at current plans at least, and we're going to be looking at what Paul writes. And I was trying to figure out where to start if I want to just jump into the main focus of talking about leaders and Paul's talking about uh, the characteristics and the nature and the qualifications of a leader, or 
I decided I wanted to stop here because almost all of the commentaries that I was reading would pause at the beginning of this and they would talk a little bit about who an apostle is. And it sort of gave me this idea that I should maybe take some time to talk about what I call churchy words because there are several in this passage and probably they need to be addressed at some point and I think it'll make this message and then, then the rest of the book perhaps work easier as well. But Paul says he's an apostle, and what does that mean? Probably something pops into your head when you hear that, some picture, some idea, some context, but it's not a word that we use outside the church at all. You, if you were walking down the street and you said, hello, I'm an apostle, people would assume you're either in a church setting or they would be completely confused. But my, I don't speak Greek at all, but the resources I have say that this was a fairly normal word within Paul's language and culture. So if he introduced himself as an apostle, he was introducing himself using a word that people listening would have understood, even if they had no church context whatsoever at all. And what it was, it was somebody who was set apart or, or a sent out on behalf of someone else, a delegate, an ambassador, or a representative. I'm probably going to use the word representative more than anything else as I'm talking about this. but So this, this word shows up in our Bibles, apostle. We have our own kind of church meanings that pop into our head, but if we were thinking about it the way that I think the original readers read it, they would have just said, encountered a normal, simple word, Paul saying, I am a representative chosen by Jesus to represent him to the people of this world. And so I thought, what if... What if our English translations instead said, this letter is from Paul, a slave of God, and a man set apart to represent Jesus Christ? It doesn't change the meaning, but it might, it might actually help the meaning come across to people who, who aren't familiar with these words. And it might remind us that, that the word apostle isn't some big word that, that has this, this special meaning. It just captures the nature of Paul's assignment. Jesus Christ told chose him and told him to go and represent him to the people of this world. So in his capacity as a representative of Jesus, Paul had traveled all over the place. And years ago, we had a series on Acts here at Tressler. And you might remember that at the end of Acts, Paul was in jail in Rome. So that's where Acts ends and our, our scriptural history ends. But it appears that Paul was actually released after that. He was in jail probably the year 61, 62, about there. He was released after that and traveled some more for maybe four or five additional years before he was imprisoned again. And at that time, he met an untimely demise. But during those years when he was traveling, he went out and he was the representative to the Gentile world primarily, at the request of his Lord Jesus. And so during that time, he traveled sometimes with Titus. Now, Titus does not show up in Acts. So, so when we have our, our sort of history of the parts of the church in Acts, we don't see anything about Titus, but Titus does show up here and there in Scripture to give us just a little piece about who he was. But we don't know much. He was not a Jew. We know that from Paul's letter to the churches that we call um, the letter of Galatians. Um, when Paul was writing to the churches in Corinth and what we call 2 Corinthians, we can tell that Titus seems to have functioned as a, as a representative of Paul. He was there on Paul's behalf 
sort of uh, bringing Paul's message and then bringing their message back to Paul. But there's also this hint that at this point, Titus was also becoming a little bit of a leader in his own right and was earning some respect from that congregation as a leader himself, not just as an ambassador of Paul. Um, Titus is described as my true son in the faith. This gives us the guess, at least, although not 100% certainty that Paul was probably the one who introduced Titus to Jesus. So this is a little bit that we know. Titus had been with Paul in some capacity for a long, long time, but now in this period between Paul's imprisonments, as they were traveling around, they must have gone to the island of Crete together. Now, this map will show you where Crete was and still is. It's an island in the Mediterranean. And so Paul and Titus were there for a time. We don't know much about the specifics, except that when apparently Paul needed to move on, he needed to do other things, he was called to another place, and those churches still needed some oversight. They still needed somebody to watch over them and take care of them. And so that's where Titus comes into the picture. And so Paul wrote this letter to Titus after he had left. And he says, I left you on the island of Crete so you could complete our work there and appoint elders in each town as I instructed you. So we're going to go through and we're going to talk about the elders that he was supposed to appoint. That's, that's the sort of the uh, focus that I'm going to use this morning. But on that theme of churchy words, there's two churchy words that show up in here that sometimes maybe leave us a little bit confused. I wanted to talk about them a little bit here. And the one is elders. So Probably when you hear that word in a church context, things pop into your mind. My understanding is that it was not inherently a churchy word in that environment. It certainly was used. We can tell from the New Testament, from the, some of the Gospels, it was used of the leaders in the Jewish community. But I, I take it, I'm told at least, that this was not exclusively a church word. It meant, it meant people who were elderly, older, a senior. I, so... And in some ways, it's used much the way that we use the word. But I wanted to at least mention that this is not only used in some context of a, of a special church office. It's a broader word, and it captures the idea. This was somebody who was, had some age, some maturity, some wisdom, and then they were asked to serve the church out of that wisdom and age and maturity. So we load that word with meaning in the church, and sometimes that is slightly different than the way Paul was using it. But Paul, Paul says something else in here that I just want to jump to before I even get there. Paul goes on and he says, talks about the elders, and then he talks about, well, he talks about church leaders is the way it's phrased in the New Living Translation. But this word is translated multiple different ways, and we're going to get there. It, it Bishop overseer, church leader, but what it means is somebody who is in charge of something or who is watching over something. I, again, I don't read the language. I just, I just read the commentaries. I read the um, books that I have, the resources, but apparently this was a fairly normal um, word. It was one that they would have used in life, and it had a pretty basic meaning, somebody who watches over. So I got the picture as I was reading their description of this word of a principal at a school who watches over the school to make sure things go well, or even maybe in the context, somebody in an agricultural environment, a, a cowboy watching over his cows to make sure that they are taken care of. It, 
it has this idea. So the word overseer works, except that, except that we use the word a little bit different. If you read in the bulletin, it says that Dale Keffer is our overseer. He's somebody from away who watches over us. That works. But don't forget that in this context that Paul is writing, the overseer was somebody who was in the church. They were a wise, mature, older person asked to provide some leadership who would then watch over the church. This is sometimes translated bishop. Seems to me just a bad translation all the way around because it doesn't capture this idea of watching over. But then, of course, if we're talking about churchy words in this situation, I'm going to soon talk about the idea that in Titus, Paul gives these qualifications for church leaders. It's very, very similar to what he says in a letter to Timothy, written about the same time, guess is slightly earlier than this, but very close to the same time, for a very similar reason, because Timothy was in Ephesus, and he was there leading, and Paul so wrote him a letter, and in that letter he says, when you choose these church leaders, these are the qualifications. But when he writes to Timothy, he mentions something that we call deacons, and deacons is well, it's a word that kind of bugs me because we don't necessarily know what it means. You might have an idea of what it means, but if you know what it means, you're going to understand why I'm showing you this verse. This verse, or these several verses, are out of a parable that is recorded in Matthew. Jesus talking. We're not going to talk about the parable, but this is just Jesus talking. And he says, when the king came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. So the king said to his aides, bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So you can, you can study that on your own and read the whole parable and understand the point that Jesus was trying to make. But why, why is it there? Well, I'll read it again. When the man came in to meet the guests, he noticed a man who wasn't wearing the proper clothes for a wedding. Friend, he asked, how is it that you are here without wedding clothes? But the man had no reply. Then the king said to his deacons, bind his hands and feet and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that's what a deacon is, a servant, one who runs errands, somebody who does these chores for somebody else. So does, that's what the word means but we load it with all sorts of other meanings. So why does this matter? Well, over the years, there have been some very, very good deacons, and then there have been some others who needed to be reminded far more often that they exist to serve. That's what their office is. And then very briefly, if I'm on this, this area of using words in church that don't capture the meaning, I should mention that the word pastor falls into this same category. I've mentioned it before, so I'll be very fast. But often in your Bibles, the word pastor shows up once in English. And it shows up in Ephesians 4, chapter 11. Now, these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. But what does the word pastor mean? It's a shepherd. And I don't mean that... It's a symbolic word that it's making reference. No, because if you're talking about the uh, Christmas story, we're going to get there. All of those people out in the fields by night when the angels came, they are pastors or they're shepherds. Why do we translate it in one spot and not the other? It kind of 
It kind of bothers me. And so we use these churchy words. They have actual meaning. We don't necessarily know what that actual meaning is. So let me, let me summarize the passage, but I'm going to avoid all the churchy words, and then I'm going to go and talk just a little bit about the qualifications of a leader. Here, we have a letter written by Paul, a representative of Jesus Christ, to Titus. And in this letter, he tells Titus about the importance of calling wise, mature, older people to be the leaders of the churches in Crete. These leaders need to carefully watch over the congregations. And when he wrote to Timothy about a similar situation, Paul said that the church would also need people who would serve each other, and he wanted to make sure that Timothy knew these servants had to be chosen carefully, just like the wise, older, and mature people. And in some of these congregations, people will suffer, they'll experience hurt, they're going to need guidance, so they should have shepherds who would take care of them. So that's trying to avoid the churchy words and just describe, I think, in the language that the original readers would have heard it. So, Paul left Titus on the island of Crete so that you could complete our work there and appoint elders in each town as I instructed you. Titus was not necessarily going to serve in this role. He might have somewhat but not alone, for sure, he was asked to make sure that there were people there. And this was going to be very important. So Paul says to Titus, here are the qualifications. And, and these are some pretty hefty qualifications. An elder must live a blameless life. He must be faithful to his wife. His children must be believers who don't have a reputation for being wild or rebellious. A church leader, that person who watches over the church, is a manager of God's household, so he must live a blameless life. And I think in one level this is, this is an impossible standard. I don't know of anyone except Jesus who lives a truly blameless life. But I think we get the point that this is very important. So if, if this elder is married, and actually I should say, this is my opinion. Some people may disagree. I don't think Paul is trying to say that elders must be married. Paul himself was not married. To the best of our knowledge, during his, his life as a follower of Jesus, he was not married. So I don't think he's saying that elders have to be, but if an elder is, then he must be faithful to his wife. So I think it's also thought-provoking that, that Paul refers to his children as sort of a... Um, a kind of a living letter of reference to the character of the individual. And so I, I, it's sort of thought-provoking. To a certain extent, you can look at somebody's children and you can get an idea of that person's character. So we can kind of understand this, but there's an element in which children make their own choices and how much do we put on the parents the choices that the children make. And I should clarify, the resources I have say that the words... Here, wild, rebellious, these are words that described adult children, late teens maybe, 20s onward. This is not to say that the person who has the preschool kid running around who's wild and crazy can't, shouldn't be a church leader. This is, this is adult children or children who have made their own way in life. So what do we think about this? To a certain extent, I think it is true it seems to me true, this idea that if somebody has not managed to lead and guide his own family, then we should ask some questions about his capacity of leading and guiding other people as well. 
That seems to be legitimate. But I've come to wonder if there's a, another angle here, and I say that because I have known people who've had multiple children, some of who are excellent and some of whom have made their false choices, and I, and I found myself with tension there. I think maybe there's another aspect here in which if somebody has a son or a daughter who's 20 years old making bad choices, that person, the person has a big responsibility in their life to be working with that child, to be focused on that, and we shouldn't burden them with church responsibilities so they're not able to do their work as a father. I don't know that we should say that somebody is forever excluded because of the choices their children make. If their children are completely gone away and the, and the person would not be burdened by that time, but never, never for sure should you tell somebody that he has responsibility in the church when his time is better spent in his own family. But I don't want to say that and, and diminish too much because Paul does, does I think, somewhat rightly observe that you can, you can make an assessment about somebody by who his family is. But you've also probably watched in life, there are people who have awesome children who should never, ever be church leaders and there are people whose children have made their own choices, knowing the truth and experiencing good parenting, who have also made choices away. And I, you, can, you can explore that on your own. Paul goes on. He says some things that the church leader should not be. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered. He must not be a heavy drinker, violent, or dishonest with money. And then he writes about some things that he should be. Rather, he must enjoy having guests in his home. He must love what is good. He must live wisely and be just. He must live a devout and disciplined life. I thought this was interesting. If you just sort of rounded Christians up in the corner of their churches and said, hey, would you quick, you know, write down the qualifications of a good, a good church elder, I, I, you'd probably get some of the same overlap. I don't know how often you would get hospitality, but Paul includes it here. Must enjoy having guests in his home, but along with that, wisdom and justice and discipline. And then in verse 9, he says, he must have a strong belief in the trustworthy message he was taught. Then he will be able to encourage others with wholesome teaching and to show those who oppose it where they are wrong. We're going to talk about this verse a little more next week because we're going to move into some some uh, questionable teachers that were in this church or the churches where Titus was working and the way that he was supposed to think about that. And this verse will move into that next week well. But a church leader should be good at teaching and encouraging people, but also opposing areas where people are wrong. I don't know what more to say in some ways about Paul's words. He sets a bar that I kind of feel nobody can ever reach. And as I was thinking about these, if I, if I made a list, I think the one that I could say for sure that I have done well is I have never had too much wine. But beyond that, am I, do I even meet these standards myself? Do any of you, we have people in our church we've asked to serve in various capacities, do they live an utterly blameless life? But perhaps that's kind of the point. We know we know that nobody is perfect, but if they acknowledge and they recognize their imperfection and they, they depend on Jesus instead of their own power, perhaps, perhaps that's what we're looking for. Somebody who says, I need God's help because I am not 
I am not good enough. I am not able on my own. But when somebody is confident that he is good enough, he's got it down, that's perhaps the sign that he does not. But I don't want to dismiss these standards either, but I was thinking maybe maybe a comparison. I, when somebody has a young child, three years old, four years old, and they want to go do something, the couple wants to go out together, and so they're looking for a babysitter. A couple who cares about the child is going to want a babysitter who is practically perfect in every way. And I immediately thought of Mary Poppins, but we know that you're never going to find a babysitter who is actually perfect. That's an impossibility. So you have to settle for good enough. And yet any parent settling for good enough should never settle too low. Your children are worth having good babysitters. So it's not a perfect thing, but, but if, you, if you're part of a church and you say, well, we, we have to have leaders who are perfect, you're not going to have any leaders at all. But if you say, well, that's the reality, so we're just going to take anybody we get, you're going to have a church with a lot of problems. And there's a tension there that every congregation has to explore. So I don't know how much this sermon made sense. I started out with sort of a boring lesson on what I call churchy words, then sort of a a rather humbling or intimidating message about standards for church leaders. Let me try to merge them again, sort of summarizing what I've said and what Paul has said but trying to also pull these two together. Jesus had asked Paul to be his representative to the Gentiles, and sometimes we call that role being an apostle. As part of his work, Paul wrote a letter to a younger man who was named Titus. In that letter, Titus, or Paul told Titus to appoint some mature, older Christian people to lead the church. Sometimes we call these elders, and these elders were supposed to watch over. Sometimes we call this role being an overseer as well. These elders would watch over the individual congregations that were there on the island of Crete. And because these men had a very, very important role in the discipleship of new believers, Paul describes the characteristics of these leaders. And he sets a really high bar. And in a similar letter to Timothy, Paul tells Timothy that there's going to be while those people who watch over the church aren't going to be able to do everything on their own, they're going to need some servants who are going to also serve the church. And sometimes we use the word deacons there for the people who serve the church. And it's worth noting for us today that when Paul describes the qualifications of the servants and he describes the qualifications of the ones who do the watching over, they're very, very similar. Just a few very minor differences because all people who provide leadership within the congregation need to be quality people because the work of the church is very important and the church needs good leaders to do that well. You have been listening to the Trestler Mennonite Sermon from October 29, 2023. The passage was Titus 1. 1 through 9. Take care.